journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shavua Tov. Well, it's, uh, it is Monday, a little bit after 1 p.m. It's actually 11 minutes past 1. And uh, welcome to the show. We are studying the Bible, the authentic five books of Moses. We're on in Genesis, we're in Parashat Chayesara, and uh, we're coming on the end of a very, very interesting chapter where Eliezer, faithful servant of Abraham, goes and finds a wife for Yitzchak. And he, he puts her onto the camel, and he is bringing her back to the land of Israel, to, to, to Yitzchak. And uh, we're going to pick up now on chapter 24, verse 63, a very, very long parsha, um, um, indeed. And we're going to look, sorry, not at verse 63, but actually at verse 62. Now we're going to get a destination point. Where is uh, Isaac while all of this has been happening? He was on his way. He was coming from a place called Be'er Lachai Roi. And he was living in the area of the Negev. We've got to understand and remember that all of this is taking place towards in the south of the country. Um, Abraham was living in Hebron. You remember he buried his wife there at Ma'arata Machpelah. And it seems that Isaac wasn't in Hebron when uh, Rivka was making her way back, but in fact he was coming from a place called Be'er Lachai Roi. Be'er is a well. Now, what is this place, Be'er Lachai Roi, if anybody knows the Bible? We know that this was in fact the place where Hagar um, first encountered an angel. You remember when Sarah told Abraham that uh, he has to get rid of Hagar and, and Yishmael because they were a bad influence on Yitzchak. She left and she found herself in the middle of a desert. She found herself in a place where she couldn't find water. Uh, she became quite emotional, let the kid kind of sort of to die and moved a little bit away. And then an angel of God came to her and said to her, uh, why are you behaving the way you're behaving? God will look after you, will make you into a great nation. And in fact, this is Be'er Nechai Roi. So what is Isaac doing there? Well, interestingly, we are told, and this we will pick up again at the end, is that Hagar, when she was told to leave, went to live in that area. And what was Isaac doing there? Because he was coming from Ba Mibo Be'er Lachairo'i, he was coming from there, he was on his way, coming from that place. Why? Because we're told that while Abraham was busy going and getting a, a shidduch, a marriage partner for Yitzhak, um, through the agency of Eliezer, Abraham had asked Yitzhak to be his shatran and had sent a message with Yitzhak to go visit Hagar and to tell Hagar that Abraham actually wished to remarry her. Now, this is a very, very interesting discussion because um, Abraham does land up remarrying Hagar, 
now that Sarah has passed away. And you will see um, much later in chapter 26 that uh, she changes her name, Hagar, to the name Keturah. She marries Abraham, and she has many more kids with him. But I'm going to keep you in suspense of that, because that you will see when we get to chapter 26. But for our intents and purpose right now, Yitzchak was coming from that place, um, and he was living in the area of the Negev, and he had gone to tell Hagar of Abraham's wish to remarry. Verse 63 reads as follows. Yitzchak went out to meditate um, in the field towards evening. And then he lifts up his eyes. And he sees, and behold, camels were coming. A lot in this verse, and we're going to uh, step back a little bit. And look at the first few words, that Yitzchak was meditating in the fields towards evening. So what does this mean? The Talmud picks up on this and says, at this time, this he, he was there, he was basically there in the afternoon, and this is where we see the initiation or the bringing um, into our custom the Mincha prayer, the afternoon prayer. Now, we know that Abraham initiated Shacharit, the morning prayer, Yitzchak, the afternoon prayer, and Yaakov, Jacob, the evening prayer. So there's quite a lot of stuff that I actually want to discuss with you about the afternoon prayer. And just for us to get a feel in understanding what the Mincha prayer is all about, if you'd like to join the discussion, I'd love to hear from you. 34519 is the SMS number. 061-895-1019 is our telegram number. So the first question that we need to ask is, why is the Torah telling us that he went to La Soyach Pesadeh, that he went into a field to worship? One of the things that we discussed much, much earlier when we were talking about Abraham and how he davened was that one should have a makom kavua. One should have a special place, a place in the house where you would have privacy and that you'd be able to concentrate on your prayers. You'd think that going into the field is very, very distracting. And of course, it's, it's public. It's not a place where you can commune with God in a, in a, in a very private manner. So if you look again, and this is why it's so vitally important to learn Torah in the original, not just look at the translation and just kind of like get the gist, but rather look in the original, you'll see that it doesn't say, it says, here we're looking at just a small aberration in terms of the vowels. Basade is in a field. Basade is saying in the field. So this is already indicative and telling us that in fact it wasn't just any field, that he just didn't wander around and find himself in a space and thought, oh, okay, this is nice to, to pray here. But rather he was very, very intentional and, um, and he wasn't 
he, he, he was in a specific place. I'm going to keep you in suspense a little bit as to what that specific place was. Maybe you know what that specific place was. If you do know, SMS. 34519 or 061-895-1019. I'll be back shortly after this break. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. What field was Yitzhak really in? Well, we're told that he actually was in a very special field, and that is, it is the one that Abraham had bought from Ephron containing the Machpelah cave. Now, why, again, for those who have like picked up late in the story, Abraham, if you recall, purchased the cave because he saw the Shekhinah, the divine presence was there, and the entire area had the aura of Gan Eden, of the Garden of Eden. And we know why, because the, the, the entrance to the cave, as we know, is Petach Gan Eden, is the opening to the Garden of Eden. And so that entire area actually was, um, was full with, with a, a very spiritual quality. And this is where Yitzhak made his place of worship. We spoke about a Makom Kavua, a place that one keeps specially for prayer, and this is where he, he davened. You could ask, why did Abraham not go there? Well, Abraham already had a fixed place to pray, to pray before he bought the cave, um, and since he didn't want to change his place of worship, he didn't pray in the cave. But Yitzchok decided to make the Machpelah cave and its adjoining field his regular place of prayer, and that's where we find him now. Now, let's talk about a little bit about the Mincha prayer. Well, the, the Talmud says that a person needs to be very careful with regards to the afternoon service that we know as Mincha. Um, it is a very, very powerful time. In fact, we know that when Eliyahu Navi, Elijah the prophet, much later in the Tanakh, challenged uh, the idolatrous priests, he chose the time of his challenge to be the time of Mincha, um, and that's where he was answered. If you want to follow that old story, you can look in the book of Malachim in chapter 19. You want to be very specific, verse 36. Now, just before I continue and talk about the, the, the Mincha prayer, uh, I just want to make a distinguishing, a, a distinction here between men and women. A man is obligated to pray, to pray three times a day. Shachrit, Mincha, and Mariv, the morning, afternoon, and evening services. A woman is uh, not obligated. She needs to and must if she can, but is not obligated because this is a a, a mitzvah and this is an uh, this is a, a Torah command that is something that is connected to time. Meaning, you can't go daven or prayer pray the the afternoon service in the morning or at night, or whenever you feel like it. There is a time frame which I will get to and discuss, and therefore because it is a mitzvah that is time-bound, women are not obligated in them. And this in and of itself is a very interesting discussion, and just to touch a little bit on this concept, 
um, of why women are not obligated in time-bound mitzvahs. There are many, many, many reasons. Um, primarily amongst them is that a woman is involved in the household. There are many, many things happening. We don't need to be reminded of time. And from a Kabbalistic spiritual point of view, um, our rabbis go and explain that, that the whole point of time-bound mitzvahs is to draw man always back onto the line of remembering that there is a God and that there's somebody to serve, serve and that he doesn't get sidelined by his worldly affairs. Well, a woman has a biological clock, and we are very, very aware of time. Breakfast, lunch, and supper, nighttime, <clears throat> middle of the time, 24 hours a day, every day of the week um, and every day of the month, we are a different person because we are aware of our biological clock. And so that innate understanding um, of godliness and of being connected to time um, allows a woman not to be obligated in it. So it's something that we're going to talk about that's an obligation on men, um, and it is good if a woman does govern it. It, it. it is meritorious. However, it is not an obligation as it is a man. So we're told further in the Talmud that obviously one must concentrate on all one's davenings, whether it's, 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 it's the morning, afternoon, or evening prayer. But we're told that the mincha service itself must be recited with particularly particular intensity and feeling. Why? Because we're told that the afternoon is a time of judgment. And how do we know that? Because when our temple, the Beit HaMikdash, was destroyed, uh, the Beit HaMikdash burned during the time of Mincha. It is also probably the most challenging time to pray because you're in the middle or trying to finish up your business and, and stuff. We know that generally like three, four, five, six o'clock is mayhem hour. Some call it the suicide hours. And we know that, you know, when somebody comes back, comes home from business, it's very easy to say, you know, I've come home. I, I need just to chillax a little bit, rest a little bit. I have a few things to attend to. And when I have time, I'll dive in mincha. So uh, the rabbis go and say that this is wrong and that one should make sure that at all times one concentrates on praying mincha at the correct time. What is the correct time? Well, interestingly, the time for mincha, you can say the mincha prayer, any time, half hour, afternoon, until sunset. So there are many, many places, perhaps not so much in South Africa if one is, is working in the secular environment, but in environments where there are a lot of people who have to daven, they will maybe stop at their lunch hour, which is afternoon, and daven the mincha prayer, and then they know that they can, you know, um, continue running that way, or, you know, they stop before they leave work to daven the mincha prayer. In many, many other places, particularly here in South Africa, but across the world as well, um, mincha and Marib are tagged together, which means that you don't have to run out to shul twice, so you will finish work and you'll be able to catch a mincha that will go into a Marib um, prayer and then you effectively have, so to speak, killed two birds with one stone and managed to fulfill both obligations. Now, uh, what happens if one forgets to daven mincha because whatever it is, you got um, overwhelmed. Well, then one can make up the mincha prayer by saying it 
after Mariv. You just daven the Mincha prayer after Mariv. So you daven Mariv properly at its time, the evening prayer. And then you can, um, you can, you can daven another Shemona Esri, the, 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 the Amidah, the silent, um, prayer again to make up for what it is that you missed. A half an hour before Mincha, we are told that it is forbidden to sit down to a meal or to take a bath or a haircut because sometimes all of these things, eating, taking a bath or having a haircut can take longer than anticipated and that could cause you to uh, miss the service. This is true the entire week, even more so on Shabbat, Erev Shabbat. There are many, many people who close their stores shortly before evening on Erev Shabbat. They rush to get a haircut and we are told in the Gemara that this is forbidden because it's too close to the time of Mincha, and it also brings one too close to Shabbat. So if you know you're wanting to have your haircut, well, try get your haircut much earlier in the day. That also obviously applies with beginning a meal early. Um, you you'll, you'll, you'll end up in the middle of eating, and you will forget to do Mincha. We're also told that if there is a celebration in the synagogue, Say there is a, a, a later bris or, or anything else that is happening, one should say mincha before whatever it is that is happening in the shul so that you wouldn't let whatever is happening in the shul run late and then you've missed mincha. Uh, one, if one has water, one should wash one's hands before the service, even if they're clean. And we're also, we also know that um, if you are going to a shul and you are praying with a minion and you're doing the mincha marif combo, that there always is a space of time by the end of mincha and before marif can can be started. Many many people take uh, take that custom to say to him at that time psalms or to do the readings of the parshat tamid, which talks about the daily offering or the pitomakatoret or the incense offering, etc. etc. There are a whole lot of uh, laws of what happens if you miss Mincha um, on a, say, for example, a Friday night. Um, then you cannot daven. I said during the week, if you miss Mincha, you daven Marev, and then you can daven Mincha. But on a Friday night, you can't go daven the ordinary Mincha because it is a Mincha for the weekdays. You are now in Shabbat mode. So the Shabbat Amidah is recited twice. And we can really, really get into a lot of halachot, which I don't want to right now, but just to give you the feel that there is a lot of um, um, different things that can happen if you forgot the mincha and you're supposed to say, Ya Levi, Ya was Rosh Chodesh, what happens, etc., etc. Best is that uh, you sit down and familiarize yourself with these laws, ask a rabbi, ask a rabbi to even give a share on it um, so that you know exactly how to run uh, with mincha. Mincha is, so to speak, kind of like the neglected child when it comes to, 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 to davening. But I want to go back to the story that we're talking about, and that is that Yitzchak was sitting in the field. He was davening mincha. Okay, by Yisa Einav, and he lifted up his eyes, Vayar, and he sees He sees obviously uh, um, a, a train of, 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 of camels coming his way. Now, we're going to kind of like 
zoom out of Yitzchak, who's sitting in the field, and see what's happening in this caravan of camels. Vatisa Rivka et and Rivka lifts up her eyes, Vatere et Yitzchak, she sees Yitzchak, Vatipo me'al hagamal, and she falls from the camel. Now, she doesn't have a physical fall, but it's a metaphor that she is um, aghast. She, 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 she is filled with an awesomeness of what it is that she sees. So, what was going on? Essentially, as we said, after Sarah died, Yitzchak went to bring Hagar back to remarry Abraham, and some say, some, some other Mephoshim say he actually had just come from a visitation in Gan Eden. He was so holy. Um, of all the forefathers, he was the only, um, forefather that never left the land of Israel, and he is the symbol of that which is completely holy. Also, the fact that, uh, you know, he went through the Akedah, he went through um, the whole sacrifice. So he had reached a very, very high level. And uh, what happened was Rivka raises her eyes. She sees him standing there praying with total concentration. And what makes her uh, metaphorically fall off the camel is that she actually understands immediately what an incredible, incredibly great man he was because she sees an angel standing beside Yitzchak. So she realizes that she was looking upon a tzaddik. She bows deeply towards him um, and, um, you know, she, she, she falls in reverence of him. But Tomer, so what does Rivka say? But Tomer and Ha'evet, she says to Eliezer, the servant, Mi ha'ish halazeh ha'holech basadeh Who is that man who is going towards us in the field. He's coming towards us. And Eliezer responds, Who Adoni? He is my master. And she takes the veil and covers herself. She's absolutely gobsmacked at the intensity and spirituality of what he sees, of what she sees. But interestingly here again, we need to zoom in on, uh, on, on the wording here, because she says, Who is that man in the field who is walking and coming towards us? Now, one of the interesting things was that Yitzhak was facing away from them. But he was heading, looked like he was going towards them. Why? Because he, at that point in time, was taking three steps back, meaning towards the caravan of camels, and because he was what? He was finishing the, the prayer of Mincha. He was finishing davening, and we know that when we finish the, the, the Amidah, the way that we take leave of our presence with God is that we take three steps back. So when Eliezer replied that this was his master, she modestly covered herself with her veil. We don't know much more from the verses of what happened, but obviously he met up with her. Verse 66 reads, The servant tells Yitzhak 
all the things that he had done, all the miracles that had occurred to him, how the journey, how the journey was dramatically shortened, and how he met Rivka as soon as he arrives in Haran. And then the Torah is very, very um, concise and precise. We don't know much more, but the verse ends with um, with one one last sentence, so to speak, about Yitzchok, but says a tremendous amount. It says, Vayideeha Yitzchok ha'ohela Sarah imo. Yitzchok brings her to the tent of Sarah, his mother. Vayikach et Rivka, and he marries Rivka. Vatehilo le'isha, and she becomes his wife. Vayeeha veha, and he loved her. Vayinachem Yitzchak acharei imo, and Yitzchak found consolation after his mother's death. A tremendous amount to learn from here, and it's actually always mind-boggling how just in a couple of words we can learn so much. Well, firstly, let's talk about the fact that he brings her to Sarah's tent. We were told, we are told that after Sarah died, Yitzchak being obviously the apple of her eye and him having much reverence for his mother, felt very, very forlorn, very left alone. Um, and um, I guess didn't he, he, his heart was not uh, reconciled, nor did he find too much consolation from his mother's uh, death. And one of the things that he wanted to see was could Rivka now uh, take the place of his mother and replace that which he was he was missing. So we were told that Yitzchok brought uh, her to the tent of his mother. Why is that important? Well, we learn an, impo- uh, 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 an important midrash over here, and that is that while Sarah was alive, four blessings came into Abraham's home. What were they? Well, the first was that as long as Sarah was alive, a cloud was bound to the opening of her tent in her honor. It was a symbol that the Shekhinah, that the divine presence rested on the, the tent. When Sarah passed away, that disappeared. Also, we are told, so that was the one blessing, that the Shekhinah, the divine presence, rested on the tent. The second is that the household was blessed with abundance. Why? So we're told that Sarah was not like those wives who pay no attention to their household expenses, spend their husband's money as they please. She was very, very careful on how she ran the home and, in fact, brought a tremendous amount of blessing uh, to the home. So that was very interesting. The third blessing was that she used to light her Shabbos candles. And those Shabbos candles remained lit from Friday to Friday, meaning it remained burning the entire week. Um, and obviously, once the new, the, the, the new week was about to come in with Erev Shabbos, um, she would relight it. So it, there was a constant light. And this was symbolic of the constant love and harmony that, um, that was found between her and Abraham uh, we're told that they beautifully never had an argument. 
And the fourth was that the doors were always opened wide because she always gave generously. She gave a lot of charity to the poor. Now, there's many things we can, under, we, we can understand from this. One of the things is that when Sarah died, all these blessings departed from the home. And once Rivka came in, it's all these returned as they had been before. So firstly, one of the interesting things is to go and look at what is this in terms of a, a Jewish wife? What is this a metaphor? Um, what all this is about in terms of a metaphor for the Jewish woman and her home? We're going to go for a bit of an ad break and we're going to dissect that shortly afterwards. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back and we were learning about the blessings that Sarah brought to the home and this is very much to do with the three mitzvot, the three mitzvahs that uh, is really in the realm and in the hands of the woman. And we learn it from here, from Sarah's tent. Firstly is the mitzvah of Shabbat candles. The mitzvah, and this is quite an important discussion because we've got the Shabbos project coming up this week. Shabbat candles are the domain of the woman um, in the house, and we are the ones that usher in Shabbat. And the Shabbat candles are symbolic of love and harmony, peace, in the home, and they do usher in a tremendous amount of light. And this is the responsibility of the woman, that she is responsible for for creating the atmosphere in the home. And now that we look at it from Sarah's point of view, it says that the candle lit, stayed lit, from one Friday to the next, to teach us that that, that is something that um, we need to concentrate on always, that the light the, the the peace in the home is a, the responsibility of the woman primarily. Obviously, halakhically, if a woman is not in the home, you can speak to your uh, rabbi. A man then does light lights the candles. But this is learned from Sarah, and this lands up in the the realm of what a woman should do. The second is is that. Um, we, we, we speak about the household being blessed with abundance and this is also uh, connected to the second mitzvah and that is the mitzvah of uh, challah something again which falls into the domain of a woman on a Friday it is a mitzvah for a woman to prepare homemade challah for the family again this is a challah is a metaphor for parnosa for blessing for livelihood, and it is really, it says that the parnosa and livelihood and abundance um, is in the, the hands of the woman, that it is us that bring this blessing into the home, and so it is a Jewish custom amongst many, many, many women to make homemade challah on a Friday and uh, use that time to pray for the, the, the health and the abundance of the, the, the family, and that again comes with the fact that uh, the house, her, uh, Sarah's household was blessed with abundance. The third um, one where it says that a cloud was always um, over it, this is the mitzvah of taharat ha of family purity. Again, it is primarily a mitzvah that is in the hands of a woman, um, 
the laws of family purity very, very shortly is that a woman, um, once she begins menstruating, separates from her husband um, and does not have any physical intimacy or any physical contact until uh, she has counted seven clean days after her period and she immerses in a mikvah, after which time she is allowed uh, back to be intimate with her husband. This brings a tremendous amount of blessing into the home. It brings a tremendous amount of blessing into the marriage. And um, it is symbolic of the fact that a cloud, the Shekhinah, God rested on Sarah's tent. The last, so these are the three mitzvot, the mitzvot of Shabbos candles and of challah and of tarat ha which falls into the domain of, of, of woman. Um, the fourth blessing that we're told that the door was open wide and she always gave charity is the fact that our homes should be mini bate mikdash, small little temples, and we should always have it opened that uh, we, 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 we perform charity. We use our homes for good things, for entertainment, for hospitality, for you know, for bringing in people that need care and compassion, etc., etc., and that also from the home we also um, uh, also outflow a lot of goodness. So coming back then into the context, uh, when uh, he met up with Rivka, he brought her Ahohela Sarah Imo. He brought her into the tent of Sarah, and when what happened was we are told that when Rivka came, all those things happened miraculously again. The cloud, the Shekhinah came to rest, and the house was, was full of abundance. Uh, the Shabbos candles lit from, from Shabbos to Shabbos. And so Yitzhak understood then that uh, Rivka was, going, was, was as great and as beautiful and as wonderful and as spiritual as his mother Sarah. And then we're told, Vayikachet Rivka, he married Rivka, he took Rivka, Vatihilolisha, and she became his wife. And here is the punchline, ladies and gentlemen, Vayeehaveha, and he loved her. Now, here is the modern, um, not the modern, the ancient but well-tested uh, form of marriage that marriage isn't about falling in love and then getting married and settling down, but rather it is getting married and getting getting to marry the right person with the right ideals. And we know now that we have spent so much time um, on the whole uh, way that Eliezer met up with Rivka and determined that she was the right one, that once you have the right partner in life, you get married. And what comes out of that is love. And that is a long and lasting love, um, not a love that is just, you know, based on an initial um, surge of hormones and then trying to fathom yourself like, did I get married to the right person uh, or why did I get married to that person in the first place? Love comes afterwards. I can't help but, uh, you know, uh, think about that, that, that cute little um, dialogue in Fiddler on the Roof where uh, the, what Topple's wife says, do you love me? And he says, do, uh, he asks her, do you love me? And she says, do I what? But I clean for you and I cook for you and I do all of these things. And he keeps on saying, do you love me? Do you love me? 
And obviously at the end, he basically is saying what the Torah says now. So I guess you do love me. And that's what love is all about. Love is living a life that is filled with commonality and, and, and a, to, a togetherness of building a life together. And then love like that is sustainable. It is not sustainable the other way around. And so we're told that, that he marries Rivka. He makes him his wife, and he loves her. That is vitally, vitally important. Um, and then we see the finality of it um, in that he finds consolation after his mother died. We're told that there's a very, very strong resemblance. Um, there was a very strong resemblance between Rivka and Sarah, even though um, they were not completely related. They were, they were family, but they weren't, you know, uh, direct, direct uh, descendants of each other. And um, just as Yitzchok resembled Abraham closely, so people couldn't tell them apart, we were told that this was in fact true of Sarah and Rivka. So we'll go for a little bit of a break and then just bring it all together like what happened to Eliezer. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Okay, so let's just put the cherry on the top of this entire discussion. Um, it's not mentioned directly in the biblical narrative. It is mentioned in Mamloes, in the Midrash, what happened to Eliezer. Well, we, t we are told that after Eliezer completed the mission, Abraham did him the greatest possible favor. What did he do? He freed him. Remember that, in, in, uh, that, that, that he was basically the servant of Abraham. Abraham freed him. Um, some, the Farshim, go and say that he became a king. And later on, he is known as Og, king of Bashan. That is one opinion. According to another opinion, Eliezer made, uh, Yitzchak made Eliezer a ruler over the angels, and he entered uh, he entered into uh, Gan Eden alive. That's um, who he who he was, and that really sums up now how Yitzchak and Rivka get together. Please God, next week we're going to talk about Abraham and his remarriage and. It's a very, very important discussion because historically you will see that there's a lot of other stuff that we're going to be able to fill in and just understand how the world developed. Uh, right now, we only know about Abraham having Yishmael, and that lands up being our um, Arab brethren. And now we're going to know Yitzhak is going to have Esau, and that is the Christian world, the Western world. There is actually... Um, a section of the world that we're missing out. But I'm going to keep you in suspense till next week. For now, have a wonderful, wonderful week. Shavuot Tov. May it be a peaceful week. May it be a week of harmony. The, you know, the, the clouds of turbulence are rumbling, particularly from the Northern Hemisphere. And we should only share good news. And please God, I'll be back. Same time, same place next week. <laughs>